0: Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us. And we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week.
1: And so, as I was thinking about that, I I, I thought about this, this topic of heaven. I thought, you know, isn't that how we deal with Christianity and isn't that how we think of heaven? See, we think of it as air travel where we get our ticket to go to heaven and then we just have to endure the process of getting there. Like we get our ticket and we're excited about the destination we're going to. We say, Jesus, thank you for giving us eternal life and we're ready when we die to accept that eternal life. But hey, let's just hope nothing really bad happens to us in the middle and let's just make it through and we have to endure it. And I don't know if that's something that we would, we would necessarily articulate to each other. And I don't know that I would have. But as I thought about the teaching Andrew gave us, I was, I was like, man, you know, we look at heaven as this ticket from Jesus and then we just endure and kind of make it through. And, and so it, it made me raise two questions when I was listening to Andrew speak. It was these two questions, it was this. How does understanding heaven help me in my everyday life? Like, what does it actually do to make a difference in my life? And then the second question came off this title. From the words in Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so I want us to look, and I believe Jesus will answer those questions when we unpack that passage of scripture. So if you will turn with me to Matthew 6, it'll be on the screen as well. And I want us just to go to Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is known as the Lord's Prayer. And so we're gonna just unpack the, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And ask ourselves, how does our understanding of heaven impact our everyday life? Because if if you're like me, you grew up in church maybe a little bit or you've heard different church things you've heard, too heavenly-minded to be only earthly good? I don't understand that because I don't actually think, I think Jesus is pretty heavenly-minded and he actually left heaven to come to earth. So I think if we could be heavenly-minded like that, um, we might make a, a real difference here. And so I think the more we know about heaven, the better we are equipped to actually Bring it here on earth. And this is Jesus' prayer. And so I want to lay the foundation of what's going on. Now, you need to know something about this passage. It happens, it's twice in the, in the Gospels, once in Luke and once in Matthew. And some of them, they're a little bit of difference. And some people would say, well, that, that shows that they actually don't know what they're writing about and there's just different prayers. Uh, but actually, um, if you understand, uh, Matthew is being written to Jewish people. And Luke is is for Gentiles. And so they're actually uh, making different points with the prayer. So they come at different moments and see they're like, oh, see, they're different points. Jesus is teaching a big crowd and then he's just teaching the disciples. See, it's not the same prayer. But that's not actually the point of it. It's not to say that there's difference. They're actually different points. And Luke is actually trying to teach Gentiles what prayer is, which is different than teaching Jewish people what prayer is. And so what we do is, I wanna, I wanna, before we jump into reading it, I wanna lay the foundation of what the scene is like. So here's the scene. Jesus is teaching. He's come on the scene for the very first time and he is just going for it preaching. I mean, he has no sermon outline. He's all over the place. It starts in Matthew 5, and he just starts doing the Beatitudes. And then he goes into talking about divorce. Then he talks about lust. I mean, he is going after all of these different laws that people know, and he is rearranging them. It says at the end of it that people were in awe of the power of his teaching. And it's in the middle that he actually attacks Prayer. Not prayer as in like prayers bad, but actually he says, you know, the way that you are being taught to pray, you're actually not doing it right. And so he does. He he attacks two mindsets. One is a Jewish mindset. Remember, I said it was written to Jews. He says, do not be like the Pharisees, who stand on the corner and want to be seen for all. They just wanna be noticed. They want everyone to see how holy I am, how good I am at praying. Look at me, I am noticed. I am the righteous. I am the right one. I can pray the best of the best. He said, that is not why we pray. We pray alone to connect with God. It's not for people, it's for God, and then it transforms people. Then he goes and he attacks the Gentile style of Of prayer, where they felt they could manipulate the gods by just babbling on. And sooner or later, they would just trick them into doing what they wanted to do. So they would just babble the same word over and over again or the same phrase over and over again, believing that eventually they would trick their God into doing it. He says, listen, that is nonsense. God knows what you need before you even pray it. That's not the point of prayer. The point of prayer is to align your heart with his heart and then it transforms you and you transform the world. So this is kind of what he does and then he says you need to pray like this. And we call it the Lord's prayer, but actually it's not a prayer for the Lord. The Lord would have never prayed this prayer. Cuz it says forgive us our sins. He does, he doesn't need forgiveness for sins. He lived an absolutely perfect life. So with all of that introduction, we will read it now. Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's teaching his people, he stepped onto the scene, he's on a mountain and he's just, he's about to teach them about prayer and he says this, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, this passage is incredibly important. We need to know that Jesus is teaching a model of prayer. And so all of us as believers, we should really be praying this prayer every day. Just verbatim, reading it over in our as a family. It's, it's a beautiful prayer. Uh, let me tell you, any prayer that has ever had an answer to it comes from the depths of this passage. It comes from the depths of this passage. But we don't limit it just to a model. We're not robots. He doesn't want us just to recite it. It actually has depth within it. And as we unpack it more and more, we actually find the depth of what he's saying. And so I want us to dive into Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't know if you're like me, when you read the scriptures, you ask questions. I I just do, like I just naturally have been a person that I guess I never grew out of being two years old and ask why all the time. I like... I'm actually kind of annoying if you ask my wife. Like I literally will sit with people and just investigate their life because I'm actually interested in how to do different things. So I actually just want to know more questions. So as I'm reading scripture, I ask these three questions as this passage, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here are the three questions that we're going to tackle today. First, what does Jesus mean by his kingdom? Second, what does Jesus mean by his will? Third, what does this mean for me? Like, how does it apply to my life? It's great to have knowledge and understanding, but if it it has no application to my life, am I being transformed by it? And so I ask these questions. So the first question is this, what is the kingdom of God? And to do this best, I think we need to look at Jesus let me ask you a question, okay? And this is not rhetorical. It is for you to answer. Don't yell it out, because that could get weird. But um, just go ahead and, and ask it um, to yourself and, and see if you could g- give an answer. What was Jesus' main message in the Gospels? What was his main message? Go ahead and just take a take 10 seconds and think about it. What is his main main message throughout the, the Gospels? What is it? Just think about it. See, wh- when I was asking that question, I... You know, I thought about love your neighbor. I thought about, you know, care for others. You know, I thought, you know, he says a lot not to worry, but to trust him. But I didn't realize that his number one message is the kingdom is near. It's this, it's, it's repent for the kingdom is near. Repent for the kingdom is near. So what is the kingdom? Let's go ahead and and unpack that. And so Jesus, I, I love this. One scholar wrote this about Jesus's message. It says, the presence and the coming kingdom of God was the central message of Jesus. For example, his teachings designed to show men how they might enter the kingdom of God. His mighty works were intended to prove that the kingdom of God had come. His parables illustrated to his disciples the truth about the kingdom. And when teaching about prayer, he taught on the kingdom of God, asking it to come. It's interesting that that Jesus is constantly teaching about the kingdom of God. And his message isn't that it's somewhere, somewhere far off. It's actually, he says it's here. Or a better way to understand it is it's here and now, it's present so it's kind, of, it's kind of think of it like this. John the Baptist is the herald. He comes in and he, he pronounces, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Repent for the kingdom of God is coming. And he's, he's yelling, he's this wild man in the wilderness screaming and everyone's going out to him seeing. And then Jesus steps on the scene and he says, the kingdom of God is Here. I mean, that's, that's great, right? We see that Jesus spoke about it 72 times in the Gospels. It's recorded that many. We can believe that he spoke about it many more. But it's, it's, a, it's a very important principle that he's teaching on. The question is, what, what, does that, what does that mean for my life? Like, how does that impact me? And so let's look at the word kingdom. See, in our modern definition, here's how it is defined. A state or monarchy, the head of which is a king. Dominion, realm. The second meaning is the people belonging to a given realm. So for instance, the kingdom of Great Britain may be thought of as the citizens over whom the queen exercises her rule. But to better understand it, we actually have to go back into their culture. To understand their culture is is to help us. Their Roman culture They understand what it is to live in a kingdom. It's the most powerful kingdom that exists. So when when Jesus talks about a kingdom coming, the kingdom being here, it's not something that is kind of far off. You know, we live in democracy, right? And so we don't necessarily understand what a kingdom is. We get countries, we get government, but a kingdom is different. And so the word that's being used here, when translated, it's actually more of a rule or reign. So when Jesus stands and says, the rule and reign of God has come, not just the kingdom, this, this space, but actually the rule of a new king has come. And to better illustrate this, Jesus actually tells a parable in Luke 19, 11 through 12. He says this, he proceeded to tell a principle or a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, a nobleman went far to another country to receive his kingdom and then returned. See, what we understand is he's not actually going somewhere else to receive the, the space that is his, king, his, his kingship. Because the space is over here. That What he's doing is he's going over to get his authority, his rule, and he's coming to the space where he will rule. So a great example in history is in, 19, or in, sorry, in in sorry 63 BC, we see that um, Rome comes in and they, they raid Jerusalem. And it is in absolute shambles for 20 years. Then Herod comes in and he realizes that he can step in and be king and bring order to this chaos. He doesn't just stand up and say, this is my space, I'm king. He'll be killed by the Romans he understands that he must go, receive the the reign, the rule, the authority to go back and rule the space. So this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you know, the rule of God is not necessarily geographical. It's not based on Jerusalem. It is actually his rule of, of mankind. It's his rule being released. And Jesus is saying, it's come, it's here. But I don't know about you, that's just a lot of information. It doesn't necessarily help me understand. And so thank you for bearing with me. I know it was a lot, but now we're going to go and say, what does that mean? And we're going to jump to the next part of his passage that says this. What does Jesus mean by his will be done? It's interesting to know that um, Jewish um, writing is, is, they have styles and, and one is called parallelism. And so what he's doing is he's is actually saying the same point twice and in a different way to emphasize one point. So what is the point? The point is, is this, that, that God's desire in his kingdom coming is actually to realign creation with himself. His point his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is saying, hey, my point is that I desire to realign brokenness with wholeness. Brokenness is a world that, that turned away from him. Wholeness is his rule in perfection. This is heaven. Think about what is, what is so amazing about heaven. Is it the space? Is it that the streets are made of gold? Is it that the, it's in the clouds somewhere? No, it's, it's that God's rule is perfect. And his, his followers' submission is perfect. This is what makes heaven so great. And so I want us to look at two verses, Colossians 1.20, that says this. Through him to reconcile to himself, Jesus, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Then I want us to go to Romans 8.22-22. through 20, Three, it says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, meaning humanity. So I asked two more questions. Reunite to who? It's all of creation needing to be reunited to God. I mean, we we don't need to go into this a lot, right? We see the broken world. I mean, we don't even need to to necessarily be believers to believe that this world is broken. And so what we see is that God promises his desire, his purpose, his kingdom coming is saying this, I want to reconcile with you. So let me go through the history quickly of God's purpose for the earth, heaven and earth. So here's the situation, you know, Eden is the beginning, perfection. Heaven and earth are together in perfect alignment. God comes down, hangs out with perfect humanity. It's great, but something happens. Sin happens and it separates heaven from earth. Heaven is perfection where God rules perfectly and earth has been marred by sin. And so the work of the entire scripture is this. How does heaven and earth how is it realigned through God's purpose? And we see, as, as Andrew's told us, that you know the ending is heaven comes to earth and we are in perfect alignment again. But the story of the scripture is the whole thing. So, so watch this. So it's separated at Eden because of sin. God makes a way for heaven and his kingdom to be here on earth, where he has a temple, a tabernacle, where his presence rests and heaven invades earth but it's only a space. It's limited to one space and limited to really one human human that can go in, the high priest. Then we have the prophet stand, stand up and say, one day the heaven will come, one day the kingdom will come, the rule of God will come and there will be someone who will come and release that, speaking about the Messiah, Jesus. And then we see Jesus steps on the scene and he is that promise, that promise of the king coming, of the kingdom being released. And he says, the kingdom is here. It is here and now. But the cool thing is is that's not where it ends. But Jesus actually says that we, his followers, will continue his work and go out and do his, his work just as he did, as he brought the kingdom, as he brought the rule of God, we will come and bring in alignment the world around us so that God's kingdom will come. And so where do we go with that? What do we do with that? And then we see it finally coming when the new heaven and the new earth unite, we see perfection. Eden is brought back and it's made perfect again. This is Jesus's story. This is God's overarching story of the whole scripture. And it makes me ask this question what does that even mean for me? <laughs> right? Like, like, wow, I just feel like I just drank from a fire hose. I've been reading all these papers this week and I'm like, what? I don't even know. How do I even explain this in a way that we can actually see this? Here's, here's how it applies to, to you and I. God wants to realign us with himself. This is his desire. His kingdom come, his will be done. How? Well, first in us. First, you and I, we need to submit ourselves to the rule and reign of God. See, when we come and we go, the kingdom has come and we bow our knee before God and we we give him everything, The kingdom, we don't have to wait for that ticket and say, oh yes, I can't wait to endure the next 30 years so then I can have paradise. Actually, we get to know that kingdom has come now, heaven here in me. I I actually carry a part of God in me. Heaven is God's rule. That's why it's perfect. And so the more that I obey God, the more that I'm in his will and under his rule. And so how does it happen first? It happens in you and I. We say, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's our alignment. But here's the beautiful thing. This is how cool God is. He doesn't just end there and be like, okay, you know, you just gave your heart to to God. I'm just going to zap you to heaven. And it's just done. No, he says this. First in you and then through you. Hear this. The kingdom come first in you and then through you. This is the beautiful thing. Kingdom come is is the rule of God in your life. And then the beautiful thing is this. You and I get to actually see that happen in other people's lives. Our goal is not to come to church and be nice people and to do the right tasks. It's to be transformed by the rule of God in our lives and then actually have this opportunity to go out and do the same thing and actually believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me and I can do the things that Jesus did. I can see them in my family, I can see them in my friends, I can see them at my workplace, and I can begin to see God's kingdom come everywhere I am. Not because of my strength, but because of the strength of the Holy Spirit through me. This is the beauty of God's kingdom coming, his will being done here as in heaven. This is the beautiful message that Jesus has given us. I think Paul summarizes it best. in 2 Corinthians 5, 20. He helps us understand it on, on more of a practical level. He says this. Oh, I was supposed to be there. That was really dramatic. <laughs> in my head, it looked cool, but it didn't work out. Oh, that's kind of how, yeah, that's kind of how date nights go too. Um, um, <laughs> I'm being perfected. Um, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay, I'm just saying, if I'm God, I'm not picking me to be his spokesman. (laughs) I'm just, I know me. I know what I'm capable of, but what I love is that God is like, no, no, no. I have a perfect plan, and you're obedient to me. Watch what I can do through you. Remember, his kingdom come in us and then through us. This is, this is our life. This is who you, I, am called to be in our everyday life. We are not designed to watch Netflix. We are designed to be God's purpose. I'm not, I'm not against Netflix. I watch it. But I'm saying, we watch it probably too much. If you're like me, too much. And God convicts me. He said, I did not create you to just continue to watch it. I created you to have your kingdom, my kingdom come. My will be done. Not just in you, but through you, in your friends, in your family. So, I did it again. (laughs) We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love this word, ambassador. Now, there are a lot of words in, in the scriptures that do not necessarily translate well. We have to actually go into, kind of like kingdom, we have to go into a lot of understanding of what they mean. This is not one of those words. Ambassador we get, right? We kind of have an understanding. Now, obviously in that culture they had a lot more power because of lack of communication and and the power of a king. So an ambassador had a little bit more power, but, but we get that illustration, right? Like an ambassador is someone who represents a government and is not necessarily in his own country, but is actually in a different country, but holds citizenship in their homeland. Paul is saying, this is who you are. This is who we are. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. When you are under the rule, and we think of that as like weird because we think of heaven far off, but again, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reigning of God. God reigns in my life. The kingdom of God is here in me to be released through me. And we, we have to understand that we are not citizens of this world. We live as ambassadors representing. Here's one of the coolest things I found out about ambassadors ambassadors actually, when they're in the foreign country that they're they're called to be in, that they actually are never outside of their country. Even though they are away from their country, they carry citizenship and they carry the authority of the country and the government that they represent and everywhere they step, regardless if it's on the property of the embassy or if they're out in a mall, as they step, they are on their homeland. So they're immune from the, to, the, to the laws of the country. But they are, I would drive really fast, like really fast. About, but anyways, and they are immune. Maybe I'll try that. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, a, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I can go 200 on the highway. I don't think it would work. But, and so as they walk, they represent are in their country the whole time. Think of that for us. We are ambassadors. As we walk, as we are around, we are in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. And so here's what I would like us to do. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I wanna invite you to take this, this message from your head to your heart. Sometimes it's hard to do when you're getting a ton of information thrown at you. And I would like you just to ask a question. Has God's kingdom come in your life? Is his will being done in your life? And that can be so difficult to understand, but it's simple. It's: Does he rule and reign in your life? Have you submitted yourself to Christ. And if you have, are you believing that God's kingdom has come in your life and your, your job as, as an ambassador is to advance the kingdom of God every day of your life and the people that are around you? So I'm just gonna invite you if you're here, um, you want the kingdom of God to come in your life. You want his rule and his reign in your life. I'm just going to invite you to go ahead and raise your hand. And if you're here and and you want to be an ambassador, I mean you are, but you want to acknowledge the fact that you understand that you are now an ambassador and you may have the rule and reign in your life, but you have not allowed that to switch and be through you and that's you, I want you just to raise your hand, that you want God to work through you in your family, in your work, at your school, in every area of your life. And now I want us to turn our attention to the cross. We're gonna, we're gonna take communion together. And what the beautiful thing is this, this is all possible because of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. His death and resurrection brought the victory so that we could enter the kingdom of God and be in relationship with him. And so as you're taking communion, I invite you to to think of three things. One, where are you at in alignment with God? Two, you know, are you submitting yourself completely to God's will? Three, you know, have you allowed yourself to believe that you are empowered to walk out what God has called you to do as Jesus has called you?
0: We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.